Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, here's what's coming up on this edition. First, it's Bible teacher Katie Orr and her husband, Pastor Chris Orr, discussing their unique Bible study method. They also discuss their new study on the book of Philippians. Excerpts from that conversation are coming up. Then, just in time for Valentine's Day, Rhonda Stoppi has compiled a book of romantic stories featuring real-life people, highlighting their love stories in the context of God's faithfulness. Then, she was an agent with the CIA working undercover in some of the world's most dangerous places, interfacing with dangerous people. Michelle Rigby Assad was sustained by her deep faith in God, and you'll get a sense of her very unique perspective and position. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection... Josh McDowell has authored some 150 books and has provided encouragement for generations. He's addressing threats and challenges to family relationships. You'll be hearing some of my conversation with him recently. And you'll meet Nina May of Renaissance Women Productions, which has produced a television series that was lauded at the recent Christian Film Festival in Newport News, Virginia. It's a faith-based series that examines the lives of seven millennial women in a post-apocalyptic world. Then policy analysis from Mark Mackler of Citizens for Self-Governance, offering his analysis and commentary on some of the topics covered by President Trump in his recent State of the Union message. Finally, from Concerned Women from America, Penny Young Nance provides a review and opinion of the recent vote in the U.S. Senate on a 20-week abortion ban, a popular concept that failed to get the number of votes necessary to move forward. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Katie Orr has written a number of women's Bible studies under the Everyday banner. Chris Orr, her husband, is a pastor, and they've developed the Focused 15 Bible Study Method, involving 15 minutes of study per day. The latest study has been co-written by Chris and Katie. It's called Philippians, Engage God's Purposes, Encounter His Peace, Experience Renewed Joy. I chatted with both of them recently. Here now are Chris and Katie Orr. We, over those years of our own practice and um, our own teaching, really whittled it down to, okay, which of these Bible study tools give us the most bang for our buck? And that's kind of where this Focus 15 idea came. And Chris is actually the wordsmith of the two of us. Uh, He can throw out words like crazy and quickly, and it is like pulling teeth for me. So he helped me kind of get it into a an, an acronym, but it's an, the idea is that we don't have, we want to focus on quality over quantity, hmm. that it's not a sprint trying to get through the Bible. You know, it's a deep book. It's not easy to understand all the time. And so the focus of teen, it's like putting on different glasses and looking at the same passage a different way over five days, 15 minutes a day. And that's how we're able to go deep uh, without you know, feeling like we have to spend two hours in the Word every day. I would love to spend two hours in the Word every day, but my schedule doesn't always allow that. What do you see as maybe a couple of the principal, as we might say, takeaways or themes contained within the book of Philippians? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So as we studied through Philippians, what we noticed was Paul was always going back to joy. Um, You know, he was talking about uh, joy no matter what your circumstances, and uh, it's particularly telling that that was one of his themes. Well, that's one of the themes that comes out because we know that Paul, as he wrote this letter, was in prison. And so this is one of his prison letters or prison epistles, and so if Paul can be joyful 
in the midst of those circumstances, then really most of us, you know, are not in situations that are nearly as bad as what he faced. Uh, most of us do not face the persecution that he faced or face the physical torture that he faced, and yet he was still able to say with uh, with full assurance that uh, because of the gospel and because of his connection to Christ, that uh, that joy was uh, was a calling that, that we all share. I think another big picture thing that stood out to me over the past couple of years of, of studying Philippians again and again is this idea of partnership, that you see a lot of commands. There's a lot of things that we are told to do and exhorted to do, and I think we are I don't know, maybe it's just me as a type A, I'm, I gravitate towards those commands because it's like a checklist and it's black and white, you know, but there is a, such, there's a missing piece that, that a lot of us skip over is this idea of partnership, that yes, I have a role to play, like Paul says in Philippians, that we are to work out our own salvation, but it is God that works in us. You know, there's always this connection of a command, but a, a call back to depend on the Lord. God is the one working in you. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He has started a good work. He is doing a good work, and he will complete that good work. And my partnership with God's work is going to be the difference in how much I look like Christ today. And how much I look like Christ tomorrow. So God's going to do his work one way or the other. But I, my experience of his work changes depending on how well I partner with him. And it is all over Philippians. But it's often uh, not neglected, but just it's not right there on the surface. But as we dig deeper, we see that partnership between us as believers and God's spirit working powerfully within us. And I would even add to that that Paul not only talks about partnership between him and God personally, but he talks about partnership between believers corporately. You mm-hmm. know, I think one of the things that we are also tempted to do is just kind of see uh, spirituality as bet- that's just my private time between me and God, when so much of the New Testament is really geared towards corporate. I mean, Paul wrote this to a church, not to an individual, and Paul is thankful for the partnership that he has in the gospel with them from the first day until now, according to verse 5. And so it's not just partnership with God, even though that's a, that's a critical component. It's also partnership together. And so we love the corporate aspect of it uh, rather than, than, than just thinking about you know me and God and, and my quiet time. Uh, how can we also partner with others for the sake of the gospel? Because there's so many one another passages in the New Testament, and you can't, do the, you can't be faithful to obey the one another's if you're, if you're all by yourself. And so it's, yes, it's partnership with you and God and your sanctification and the holiness process, but it's also partnership with other believers. Chris and Katie Orr here on The Intersection. The website address is katieorr.me. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Rhonda Stoppe. She discussed with me recently the concept of the book Real Life Romance, inspiring stories to help you believe in true love, as well as the content of some of the stories which illustrate God's faithfulness in the lives of couples. From that conversation, this is Rhonda Stoppe. And if my husband would change, I'd be happy. I tell women, remember those magical moments, because when we longed for them to notice us when we wanted so badly to catch their attention we couldn't wait to spend the rest of our lives with that person if you're married 
And yet, after we get married so often, it's so easy to just forget the romance or to forget how how happy you were that, that they noticed you or that she looked your way. And instead, we just get, you know, take it for granted. So when I first started writing real-life romance, the goal was just to remind married couples of their own romance story as I unfolded story after story of people who came from different walks of life and just happened to meet at a coffee shop or, you know, just happened to run into each other after they hadn't seen each other for a long time. There's one couple in there, Walter and Sandy, that they were married and they got divorced and their life fell apart and then they came across each other again and were married again. And and it's just an amazing, amazing love story. But as I wrote, I also found that this book was celebrating real love that was honoring it was a a romance that was christ honoring and you know god's interested in our love stories he's interested in the love stories of our children and everybody loves a good love story and let's be honest as believers we watch movies or even let our teenagers watch movies about love stories that the couple ends up together in the end happily ever after but we look the other way or we kind of cringe when the couple is you know going to bed before they're married or whatever's happening in their relationship that's not honoring to the lord So my goal in this book is to just have 25 different stories that honor Christ in romance, that really redeem romance. Take it back because it's God, you know, God's the one that put Adam and Eve together, the first romance. And so that's the goal of the book. And it it is, I can't even tell you how delightful each story is. I mean, I had to have tissues while I was writing because it's like you're crying when, when this happens. I mean, it's just the best. And it's Reading for entertainment, it's not like just another self-help book, but it also gets our biblical worldview on what romance is supposed to look like, and it celebrates that. I wanted you to really comment on why it's so beneficial for couples to not, not only reflect on their love story, but to reflect on God's hand in that love story. I think understanding how intricately involved God is in our lives is so important. One love story that I just opened to in the book, and what's fun is they each stand alone. I I have a lot of women that'll buy my books and say, I'm working through it and I love it. I just have to find time to keep moving. It's like these, my daughter who is married and has two babies, she said, I was up till one o'clock in the morning and I couldn't put it down. I just had to (laughs) read one more love story and the baby was going to get up and I just couldn't put it down. It's just that kind of a book. But one of the stories in there is a couple named Dawn and Barb. And Dawn and Barb were married after, um, after she had had two, two daughters, and they met. She was a nurse, and he was a police officer, and they met, and they fell in love. And it's a great story of how they fell in love. But as you read their story, all of a sudden, in the middle of their beautiful romance, one of their daughters ends up dying in a car accident. And it kind of takes your breath away as you read their story. But then as Dawn and Barb unfold the events and how that brought them together in their love for each other, and Dawn, who was a big, strong police officer that always had his family in church, came to the realization through that hard and difficult, heartbreaking season that he genuinely didn't know Christ. And through that sorrow, I'm going to cry. Through that sorrow, God brought him to repentance, and God brought him to a place where he truly was a Christ follower, and he could minister to his family in their grief over their loss from a God-centered way. 
And God used, you know, what was meant for evil, God used for good. And we all know there's stories out there that are seasoned with happy, joyful moments, but they're also seasoned with sorrow. And I think seeing other couples that have walked through sorrowful times that can give hope to someone in the midst of a painful circumstance to know that if they truly do keep their eyes on Christ, if they truly do draw toward one another instead of blaming or pushing each other away amidst that season of sorrow, God will do something so incredible. The the Bible says he will do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Uh, There's a scripture that comes to mind, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one can conceive what God has in store for those who love him. And when we love him with all of our being, then what spills out of us is his selfless love for our spouses or for the person that he might bring into our life for our, for our real-life romance. Rhonda Stoppy here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website noregretswoman.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's former CIA agent Michelle Rigby Assad, author of the book Breaking Cover, My Secret Life in the CIA and What It Taught Me About What's Worth Fighting For. In our conversation, she discussed some aspects of her work in the CIA and the faith in Christ that has sustained her. Here now is Michelle Rigby Assad. I didn't put any conditions on my commitment. I just said, wherever you want to send me, I will go. Of course, not realizing entirely what that would mean for my life. Um, and so what when we found out we were being sent to Baghdad after serving in another very, very difficult place, we were terrified because, as you recall, in 2006, you know, Iraq was the, the killing field, and no one wanted to go there. And so we, we pleaded and pleaded with God, please don't send us to Baghdad. Please let us out of this. And he didn't. Um, but what is so fascinating about my experience is, had I not gone to Iraq, I would not have developed this amazing level of counterterrorism and counterintelligence expertise, because as meeting directly with bad guys and terrorists, that often on that level, it taught us so much. And so we walked away from Baghdad, completely different people, and completely, you know, there were moments where we thought, this is such a hard job, I don't know if I could spend one more day in Baghdad. And so it was the grace of God that brought us through that tour, kept us safe, in moments where we were being shelled and it was very uh, difficult jumping into bunkers all the time. So I tell people, don't avoid the hard things. Those are often the places where you find exactly how, what God made you to do and mm-hmm. you really discover the kind of impact you have. So even if it scares you, if God opens that door, walk through it anyway. Michelle, in your experience with the CIA, you actually became very aware of the plight of persecuted Christians in the Middle East. In fact, you and your husband were involved in a what's described as a rescue mission of 150 persecuted Christians from northern Iraq. Talk about how you really began to see the the plight of Christians in that area and really the circumstances leading up to that rescue mission. Sure. So I had been very um, aware of Christian persecution for a long time. Um, When I first met my husband, Joseph, he had come to the States as a teenager um, because he wasn't allowed into university because of his Christian activities. 
So this is a kind of persecution that's not wrought by ISIS or Al-Qaeda. This is just what people deal with, They're the non-Muslims living in Muslim-majority countries, living under Sharia law, when you are not given like equal status, your Muslims are on one level and you're down here. And so I knew his story firsthand, and I knew what he and so many of his friends and family members had gone through. And, and then so when an opportunity came to us to maybe try to find a safe haven for some of these Iraqi Christians who'd been displaced by ISIS, it was like, you know, it was so clear that everything God had brought us through in Iraq had brought us to that moment. We could use this amazing skill set in the service of this greater cause and to help these people. And so by the grace of God, in an amazing, amazingly short time frame, we were able to find a country willing to take these people and um, execute an incredibly complicated operation to get them out of northern Iraq and on a plane and take them to their new homes in Slovakia. But that amazing event occurred December 10th, 2015, and was one of the most amazing events that I've ever experienced in my life. And that's what actually got you on 2020, right? That's correct, yes. They were with us the whole time. So 2020 team came, they covered the entire evacuation, they were with us on the ground when um, the airport was shut down because Russian missiles were being shot over Iraqi airspace, um, you know, towards Syria and ISIS locations there. And so the entire evacuation almost fell apart. And it was incredible to have a camera crew that captured all the difficulties that we faced on the ground. So, again, that was another God thing that fell into our lap. And watching that really shows how very much God loves us and is really willing to move heaven and earth to help us out. Mm. Michelle Rigby Assad here on The Intersection. Find out more through her website, Michelle with one L, RigbyAssad, A-S-S-A-D dot com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more by visiting meetinghouseonline.info or go to the Faith Radio website at faithradio.org. Scroll over the programming tab, and then you will see a link to The Meeting House. When you go to the homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. Also, through that homepage, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. You can also get connected to The Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Also, through the Meeting House homepage, there are two blogs accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org and go to the programming section. Well, I had a chance recently to talk with Josh McDowell. In our conversation, he discussed some of the challenges facing individuals and families. He is the author of some 150 books. Here now from our recent conversation, this is Josh McDowell. What would you say would be maybe a couple of principles that we can apply as far as walking in this this life of wholeness that God wants to bring us into? Well, the first is not to go it alone. Do not 
go it alone. Probably the one of the most marvelous things I ever learned after I trusted Christ was that I need more than Jesus. Now, doesn't that sound like heresy? I just turned uh, off keep going. your radio audience. <laughs> keep going, Josh. And the reason no, no, is, don't tune out. I am. And the reason is, most people don't know their scriptures. I need more than Jesus. Now, what do you mean by that? When it comes to my salvation, all I need is Jesus. Not Jesus plus works, Jesus plus baptism or anything. All I, he paid the complete price for my salvation. But almost everything in my life after that, I need more than Jesus. What is that? The church, the body of Christ. Go take your New Testament, write down how many scores of time it says one another. Well, that's not you and Jesus. That's you and a brother or sister in Christ. Help one another, serve one another, counsel one another, encourage one another, love one another, pray for one another. Listen to this one in Galatians. Bear one another's burdens, hurts, wounds. Look at James 5, uh, I think it's 16, where it says, confess your sins one to another. Now, when we confess our sins to God, God promises forgiveness. When we confess our sins one to another, what does God promise? Healing. And when pastors and others preach, all you need is Jesus, they're cutting people off from one of the greatest sources of healing, and that's the body of Christ. One another. That is probably the most important principle. We all need people involved in our lives. Hmm. Second is knowledge, is knowledge. Uh, knowledge of the scriptures. Knowledge of what God says about us as people. Uh, in Romans, do not think more highly of yourself. People say, see, you shouldn't think highly of yourself. That's not what it says. It says not to think more highly than you ought to think. In other words, you're supposed to think highly of yourself, but not more highly than you ought to. Well, how highly should I think of myself? It says this. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think according to sound judgment. And I believe sound judgment is looking at you the way God looks at you. And if we could see ourselves the way God sees us, that is the beginning of a fruitful, abundant life. Those are two of the most important things. And then third is that when you're confronted with things in your life, are you willing to yield them? So often God will show us something. We don't want to yield. We like it. And that hinders the spirit of producing that joy and the abundant life. So those three things are just three of the initial ones. Josh McDowell here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website josh.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's the founder of the Renaissance Women Foundation and Renaissance Women Productions. Her name is Nina May. In our conversation, she discussed the background of her organization, as well as the web series of which she is creator and executive producer called Daily Bread. It won multiple awards at the recent Christian Film Festival in Newport News, Virginia. Here now from that conversation, it's Nina May. The biggest thing is there's a distinction between surviving and thriving. The animals survive. You know, they eat, they kill, they sleep, they, you know, drink water, they do whatever. It's all about surviving. But man thrives because he is put on earth to commune with other people and to commune with God and to create something out of nothing and to become a community. 
So that's the thriving part, and that's what the girls have to decide if they're going to do that or just stay in survival mode. And so there becomes a division in the camp between the foodies and the gunnies as to how they're going to do it because Taft says, well, we can't just be on guard 24-7. What's the point, you know, in living if you have to live like that? And then the other side says, you know, but if you don't, there will be nothing. So you have to do it. So it's a very compelling um, discussion that goes on. The other thing, and we make this point right there in episode one, is that man's looked at that electricity before and actually done very, very well. I mean, this nation was carved out of the wilderness without electricity, without cell phones, without cars, and they were able to do it. And you see, there's some countries in the world today that have never even seen electricity. So you go to some of the deep, dark parts of um, the Amazon, there are some tribes there that have just had first contact in the last few years. They don't know anything electric. So I'm trying to put it in perspective for everyone, and a few of the, the characters will say things like, it's just electricity, people. We've lived without it before. And so when they first come into their, um, this is the day before they hit, and they come into the little town square, right in the middle of the town square is a nine-foot um, statue of a woman, a, a pioneer woman, and she's holding in one hand a Bible and in the other hand a gun. And so the, the girls come comment about it, about how, you know, boy, they'd really hate us today if they knew how easy we had it. And so they have this little discussion about who the pioneer women w- woman was and, you know, what made them strong, what made them courageous, and they realized that it was their faith in God that got them through. There's a lot of subtle little things like that throughout the entire series that you'll see that do remind us that, you know, God is our salvation. I mean, God is what puts us on the path of, of the destiny he's created for us. And he wants us to live uh, as thriving with him and with each other and not just surviving like the animals do. So that's a constant theme that pops up constantly. And the interesting irony is we have the, the preppers who are ready for survival. They've got everything they need. They've got their little prepper camp. Everything's fine. But they never counted on the psychological impact it would have on people and, you know, the, and the impact it would have on the children to have to be living like this for who knows how long, years maybe, they don't really know. And the girls who are totally unprepared, but they're stuck in a really beautiful home, they make the best of a bad situation. And really the only thing they're missing is the electricity. But they, they learn to work together, they learn to honor each other and respect each other. I mean, you have a few, you know, flies in the ointment, which of course you always have to have, you have to have your conflict, but um, but it's a fascinating study in human nature and seeing how you think you're ready for something and you really aren't, or if your heart is already prepared, that no matter what life throws at you, you're going to be ready for it. Nina May here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website nwpvideo.org. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast with Mark Meckler, President of Citizens for Self-Governance, which oversees the Convention of States Project. Recently, he shared observations with me about President Trump's State of the Union message on January 30th, including topics ranging from the economy to immigration and more. Here now from our conversation, it's Mark Meckler. My perspective is a little bit unique. It's an on-the-ground perspective because I travel all over the country, 43 states in the last two years, so far this year, what I see it's, is an excitement in the economy. You know, sometimes economists talk about the animal spirits, and by that they just mean what are people feeling, what are business owners feeling, what are employees feeling. 
what I can tell you is excitement. I, you see the numbers in consumer confidence. You see them in small business confidence or manufacturing confidence. But I hear them in people on the streets. I've, I'm with grassroots all the time. People think things are moving up. People believe things are getting better for them. And our economy is largely driven on perception. And so I think the perception is that things are improving. And that means that that's the reality. So, you know, when we talk about animal spirits, that's what consumer confidence is. It's just their perception, consumer's perception or business owner's perception of where the market is headed. It's not doesn't reflect necessarily fundamental change in the structure of the economy. But what happens is when you have a president that comes into office, he's pro-business, he's anti-regulation, he's he's pro-consumer, he's pro-worker. And so this impression takes hold in people that, hey, things are going to get better, and they start looking forward instead of looking down. That's what actually improves the economy. And literally that happened from the day that President Trump was elected. When he was the president-elect, people started to turn around in their attitudes. It's been dramatic since the first day he took office. And frankly, looking at the fundamentals, I don't see any chance for that, any, any of that to turn down anytime soon. Well, Mark, I'd like for you to just share just a bit, take a little bit of a detour here. When you talk about traveling the country over the last two years, you mentioned you've been in 43 states already traveling to, what was it, six states so far in 2018. When when you talk with people, what what is your purpose, if you will, as you meet with various groups? What's the message that you are communicating with them? The primary thing that I'm working on right now is to teach people about the idea that the main fight we should be having in America is not about what should we do. It's about who gets to decide. Most fights are decided in Washington, D.C. right now, sometimes by the Supreme Court, like the Obergefell decision or the Obamacare decision, sometimes by Congress, sometimes by a president acting alone. The reality is the founders intended for the people in the states to make most of those decisions on their own. And thank goodness they gave us a mechanism in Article 5 of the Constitution where we can call a convention of states, talk about proposed amendments to the Constitution, and then propose amendments to restrain the scope, power, and jurisdiction of the federal government. I'm traveling around teaching people about that and working in legislators, legislatures. So far, 12 states have passed that resolution. It takes 34 to call the convention. And I'm here in Idaho right now hoping that Idaho will be the 13th state to call for that convention. Well, and when we take a look at what's taking place within the states, I believe that that is where so much of the action is. You are hearing about the infrastructure proposals that the administration is working on and the president actually addressing that last night in the State of the Union. And there does seem to be uh, an idea here where, yes, the federal government will be involved in the infrastructure, but there's also a responsibility that has been placed upon the states. That does seem to be quite a bit different than, say, top-down approaches that that we've heard in the past, for some reason, that stimulus bill that was passed back in 2009, that's something that, that comes to mind where it was a huge top-down from the federal government trying to get things done and nothing got done. So now you're you're basically saying, you know, the federal government saying, states, let us work with you to help you accomplish your infrastructure goals. Is that is that a right perception I'm talking about here? I think you nailed it, Bob. And, you know, it was interesting because last night when I was watching this, I was, I'm here in Idaho. I was in a room of about 300 people at a restaurant watching this, cheering for Trump. And the infrastructure was something that people were hesitant about. And when he started to talk about it, the people at our table said, oh, here's where he's going to lose me. And as he went through his plan and said, what I'm looking for is, you know, we'll put a dollar in. 
and then expect that to be matched by state and private, people were open to that. It was really an interesting shift. I watched that shift take place at my own table within just that small section of the speech. So as long as the states are in and the private sector is in, people don't mind seeing a little bit of federal help. Mark Meckler here on The Intersection. The website address is selfgovern.com, or you can go to conventionofstates.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's the president and CEO of Concerned Women for America, Penny Young-Nance. She discussed the vote on the pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act that failed to receive the 60 votes necessary in the U.S. Senate on January 29th to move forward. She provided analysis and commentary regarding aspects of the vote. Here now from that conversation, it's Penny Young-Nance. We got three red state yep. Democrats that crossed over and voted with us, but I'm so disappointed that Doug Jones from Alabama has proven himself to be a complete uh, extremist on the issue of abortion. Remember, this vote was specifically about whether a baby at five months going into six months, would have the right to life. These are, this is a baby that has, according to a scientific information, has all her major organs, fingernails, and eyebrows. We're told to sing and talk to our babies at this point because she can hear and respond to our voice, and she can feel pain. Doctors do not perform surgery in utero without using anesthesia on a baby at this point. And so he has proven to that he has proven to be a complete extremist on the issue. And I'm hoping the good people of Alabama will let him know that that is not okay with them, that they they are very concerned about his vote, that they'll go to his town hall meetings, set up meetings within his office, send uh, calls and emails to let him know how displeased they are with his vote. This bill, the what is called the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, basically protecting these unborn children from having their lives taken after five months of pregnancy. This would be called late-term abortions. And, you know, Penny, in the State of the Union— And and by the way, is protocol for abortion this late is a dismemberment abortion. This is a brutal, violent act. Mm. And so I just really think that it is important that people, that he understands from you. But let me also say, do not grow weary in well-doing. This is how we won on partial birth abortion. It is one step at a time. It's a journey. We have these votes, and then we take it to the voters, and the voters are outraged and understand that their senators do not support them. And then they go either change their vote or they vote them out of office. And so, you know, the member has to understand that, you know, he has to choose between his fealty to the leftist agenda of Planned Parenthood or his constituents. And this is, it really is not something that Concern Women for America can do for you here in Washington. This is what our members have to do in their home state. And again, this pain-capable bill, uh, Maris poll that you cite on the CWA website, 60% of Americans support ending abortions after 20 weeks. And so this is something, this is a, Bob, very popular. And that 64%, 64%. Like those numbers only grow. And every time we have this conversation and we talk about what it is yeah. that we're allowing at, to happen, it brings people to our side because then they understand. They understand that this is not just some philosophical question. This is about violence. Well, and Penny, you had the opportunity to be at the Capitol on Monday. Senator Graham, of course, the sponsor in the Senate of this particular bill, Senator Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Senator McConnell, the majority leader, actually allowing this bill to come to the floor. 
you know, you talk about raising the awareness. I think it's very interesting. The the 60% I quoted from the Marist poll, now you're talking about a new mm-hmm. Gallup poll. What mm-hmm. pro-life leaders have actually done over the last few weeks in the run-up to this vote is really to bring attention to this particular issue. And so what what I sense, in fact, from, from reading some of the comments of Senator Graham the other night, this battle is far from over and that perhaps Correct. even in a losing effort, there are some victories that have been gained as far as bringing Americans the awareness of what really takes place in this brutal act. Yes, this is about bringing Americans to their senses. And, and understand that policy, public policy is downstream of, of public opinion. We have to change minds, draw attention, help people to understand what's at stake in order to change the policy. And so I, I really commend Senator Graham. Lindsey Graham did a great job on this. And Mitch McConnell, like, you know, he, he knew this was going to be a tough vote. And there certainly were Republicans that didn't want to take this vote. And so he said, this is important. This is why we're here. I'm bringing it to a vote. You do the right thing, you know, or you'll face your constituents over it. So I really am very grateful to both Senator Graham and Senator McConnell on this issue. Penny Young Nance here on The Intersection. Learn more about the organization by going to concernedwomen.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or you can reach the homepage through faithradio.org. Scroll over the programming tab, you'll find a link to The Meeting House program. When you reach the homepage, you will find a link marked Meeting House On Demand that takes you to the Media Center. You can also subscribe to the Intersection Podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes on a weekly basis. Also, through the Faith Radio app, you can get connected to the Intersection Podcast. Learn more at faithradio.org. Also, through the Meeting House homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is The Front Room, the other is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The Front Room features devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page, and you can get connected to video content. Again, that's at meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.